another week. I hope you're well. What news? News! <laughs> well, I was beavering away the other day on the old computer. Not the new computer, the old computer. Well done for subscribing to this. And the radio was on in the kitchen. It was quite late at night. It was Janice Long on Radio 2. The lovely Janice Long. You know, Janice, she plays good music and she talks to the truckers and the, the lonely and the, the dispossessed. The lovely Janice Long. And it must have been Monday because she played the song Manic Monday by the Bangles. You know, just another Manic Monday. Everyone knows the song Manic Monday by the Bangles. Everyone apart from Fern Cotton knows the song Manic Monday by the Bangles because Fern Cotton doesn't know it because it isn't by the drums and it wasn't released last week and they haven't done an amazing live lounge session recently, the Bangles. So, um, But everyone else has heard of it. You know, Manic Monday, released mid-80s, quite a pleasant little bit of tap. A decent pop tune, isn't it? Well, it's more than a decent pop tune, seeing as they're still playing it 25 years on. And I was listening to the words. It's not as good as Eternal Flame. That was the end of school disco. Now's your chance classic for me. That Eternal Flame was the stuff of intense frustration, but that's for another day. Not as good as Eternal Flame. But still, it's an all right pop song. So I was listening to the words. And it's generally pretty futile analysing pop lyrics. The Bangles lyrics anyway. You know, you can analyse Dylan and Morrissey and Springsteen, Kate Bush. But you can't analyse the Bangles. That, and that's not being disrespectful. The Bangles lyrics aren't there to be analysed. It's like criticising a story by a five-year-old. You, know, you get a five-year-old's little story, he's written in crayon and goes, The dragon fell into the sea, Timmy. The, what do you mean the dragon fell into the sea? You just said at the start he lived in a desert. How can he fall into the sea, you little idiot? There's no point in criticising little Timmy. There's no point in criticising Bangles lyrics. But I was listening to the words, nonetheless. And by the way, this is also something that's really easy to do in stand-up as well. You see comedians going... Oh, you know that Saturday night by Wigfield? Yeah, let's uh, let's take a closer look at that. And the point being, the secret here is if you look at any pop song in detail, it will generally throw up a few inconsistencies. And so in an attempt to prove this and be guilty of exactly the same crimes of the comedians I've just criticised, I realise that, here's a little walking tour through Manic Monday. I've got the lyrics here. They're all printed out. So first verse. I'm not going to sing it, but you know it. Everyone knows it. So, you know, six o'clock already, I was, so I can't, I won't sing it, but here it goes. It goes, six o'clock already, I was just in the middle of a dream. I was kissing Valentino by a crystal blue Italian stream. And it's a good opening, isn't it? This is it. I, it is. I'm not making fun of the bangles. I genuinely think it's good. It's not really around the fountain, but it's not a bad little fun start to a pop song. It's, it sets the scene. She's in bed. The alarm goes off at six o'clock. Presumably the alarm goes off. It, it, the alarm, presumably, it doesn't say the alarm goes off, but presumably the alarm goes off at six o'clock because she's not just in a dream with Valentino kissing him and then in her dream thinks, oh, it's probably about six o'clock, I better get up. No, she'd, in, a, in the dream, she doesn't even know it's a dream, let's presume. And then the alarm goes off and Valentino and the crystal blue Italian's dream are all whipped away, right? So she wakes up and it goes, but I can't be late. Because then I guess I just won't get paid. These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. So what have we learned from that? You know, we've learned that she's got a job where she's paid by the hour or even by the minute because she's paid by the minute. Because obviously in most jobs, if you're late or even if you take a day off, you know, you still get paid. But not in this case. If she's late, she doesn't get paid. That's uh, that's it over. If you're late in her job, that's it. You don't get paid. Even 15 minutes late, you're not getting paid. 
So I'm not sure what kind of job it is. Maybe she's a fruit picker or something. You know, you know a job where there's a number of people turn up for work and they all start. But if you're late, the farmer just goes, no, sorry, we don't need any more people today. I'm really sorry, but I can't offer you anything. You should have been here on time. Right. So she's she's a fruit picker so, or something. She's a peace worker, you know, a fruit picker. So it says uh, so it, then it said, these are the days when you wish your bed was already made. Well, she's a tidy person, isn't she? Normally, if you're late, sod the bed. You do it when you get home. But she, even though she's late for her fruit picking and there's a chance she might lose an entire day's wages, she still makes the bed. It would be better if, if the line was, these are the days when you wish you'd had a shower the night before and therefore could get away with not having one. Or these are the days when you wish your breakfast could be eaten as a tiny little pill. Because that's what you really need when you're late for work. So she's woken up from a dream. We've got to recap. She's woken up from a dream, six o'clock, has to make the bed, has to be on time. And then it, it moves on to the chorus, the first chorus. And just another manic Monday. I won't sing it, but wish it was Sunday. She says, just another manic Monday. Wish it was Sunday, because that's my fun day. My I don't have to run day. That's on Sunday. That's her I don't have to run day. When they were writing that, they were probably going, what rhymes with Sunday? Um, well, another day, obviously, Tuesday, Wednesday. Fay, gay, hay, lay. Could be something about laying in bed. Bay, say. Hang on, what about a new word? How about run day? My, uh, my I don't have to run day. Run day, yeah? So just another manic Monday. Okay, so the chorus isn't important. Get to the, apart from the, the invention of the word run day, it's not important. So second verse. Have to catch an early train. Got to be to work by nine, she says, right? She's got to get an early train. Hang on, she got up at six. Do you remember back at the start, six o'clock already. I was just in the middle of a dream. She got up at six. She's got to be in work by nine, but she's got to get an early train. How long's her commute? She's one of, she's one of these people who commute from Manchester to London every day. She's like mental people that commute two and a half hours each way, two hour train ride to a fruit picking job in the city. She's got the worst job in the world. She doesn't even get paid if she's a minute late, but she has to commute from the north and the south to the south to do it. And she continues, And if I had an aeroplane, I still couldn't make it on time. And see, this is where pedantically overanalyzing pop lyrics comes into its own. This is why I'm doing it, to prove the formula, right? What you would hear in a comedy club now is that how it would take so long to go to an airport or an airfield and going to the hangar that contains her plane and she has to do the walk around the plane, do, does all the pre-flight checks and she has to contact air traffic control. And do you see, if you were doing this in a comedy club, what you, you could do that for a good 10 minutes and then she has to fly to an airport near her job because you can't fly a plane to a job. And then you do a little bit about, well, you must get paid a lot for fruit picking. <laughs> What's she, what sort of fruit is she picking? Is it gold fruit? Ha ha ha, I'm funny. So that, right. So then it moves on. It moves on. Because it takes me so long just to figure out what I'm going to wear. And, ah, uh, you see, this is where... Now, this is why it takes her three hours between getting up and going to work. This is where we begin to lose sympathy for her. Because up till now, we think she's got this wretched life where she has to commute from Manchester to London just to pick fruit with the chance she might waste the entire day's rail fare if she's one minute late. But now, now, it's just... The reason she's under stress is because she's incredibly, incredibly vain. And we knew she was vain because her dreams involved kissing Valentino by a crystal blue Italian stream. We knew that she was high-minded. She doesn't dream of going fishing by the ship canal or something, does she? No, she's like 
an 80s Sarah Jessica Parker or something. She's like a fruit-picking Sarah Jessica Parker. And obviously, what would happen now in a comedy club is the comedian, let's say the comedian's a man, he would make lots of jokes about women taking ages in the morning, and then he'd maybe do a male version of Manic Monday, you know, alarm going off at 8.35, got to be in work by 9, etc. You know, wearing the same clothes. That's what... I, ha, 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 aren't I funny? But what, that, that is what would happen in a comedy club, but this is a sophisticated podcast. And we don't court such whimsy. Not on my watch. So, the song goes on. Back to the narrative. And so it goes. Takes me so long just to figure out what I'm going to wear. We've covered that. Blame it on the train, but the boss is already there. And this doesn't... This is the first bit that doesn't make sense, does it? Am I being thick? Because, right, she was going to say... Maybe I'm being th stupid. We've got to look at this. She was going to say, sorry, the train was late. Like I was going to blame it on the blame it on the train, but the boss is already there. She was going to say, sorry, the train was late to the farmer, to, right, to the fruit farmer. She was going to say, sorry, the train was late, but the boss is already there. But that would be all right, wouldn't it? Because the boss is there on time and you get there and you go, sorry, the train was late. What's the problem? That's what people do. But I don't want to come out. I think I'm missing something. Wait, unless, hang on, if she and the boss always get the same train in the morning. Does that work out? Yeah, that would make sense. And then the boss, the boss commutes from Manchester to the farm as well. The farmer lives in Manchester and commutes to his farm three hours away every day. And they normally have a chat in the morning. And if he said, you know, if she, sorry, if she said to him, the train was late, I'm sorry I'm late, the train was late, he'd say, well, no, I don't think so, love. Check me out. I've been here 20 minutes. No strawberries for you today. Because they get... They always travel. I'm not happy with that, but it, that's the only logical explanation. But OK, then the chorus again. Just another manic. Ma and then what, what might be described as a third verse, but is probably more accurately the middle eight. You're a tit, Stan. I know I'm a tit, but it's a different from the verse. And it goes, all of the nights, why did my lover have to pick last night to get down? Doesn't it matter that I have to feed us both? Employment's down. He tells me in his bedroom voice. Come on, honey, let's go make some noise. Time, it goes so fast when you're having fun. Just another Manic Monday, right? This, now, this, this is a can of worms, okay? So she's got a boyfriend, but she's saying, why did he have to pick last night? Which is Sunday night, of course, right? Why did he have to pick last night, Sunday night, to come over? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, boyfriend who only comes over on a Sunday. Mm. He's using a... He's cheating. It doesn't, it, she says, doesn't it matter that I have to feed the both of us? Employment's down. He hasn't got a job. He comes over for money, food and sex and only on a Sunday. He's a terrible man. Employment's down, she says. Yeah, that's probably just what he tells her. He probably does have a job. Not that she'd know. He only sees her once a week. And then he tells me in his bedroom voice, come on, honey, let's go make some noise. You know who he reminds me of? The, uh, the boyfriend in Manic Monday. He reminds me of Liz Lemon's loser boyfriend in 30 Rock. The one that sells pages. You, have you seen 30 Rock? This song could be about Liz Lemon, couldn't it? She's always tired. I think it, it is. We figured out Manic Monday. Even though Manic Monday was written two and a half decades before 30 Rock was written, I think we have figured out it's about 30 Rock. And then there's a chorus again. Just another Manic Monday and it ends. So there you go. Manic Monday. About It's about... What have we learned? We've learned that it's about a poor, cheated upon, naive, vain, commuting fruit picker without a pilot's license.
Learn football with Gaza, a series of free podcasts which teach you to play football like former England hero Paul Gascoigne. This week, how to shoot. Um, when, I, when I was shooting, it was always you and the keeper. Uh, he's like the devil, the keeper, like Lucifer. And you've got to beat, his, um, you've got to beat a demon. Um, she scored, when you score a goal, it's brilliant. There's nothing better. So um, the problem is that you always know, get a high, and you always you know, get addicted to the high, and you'll never, never face it. So um, you score a goal. And when I was in Italy, I was in Italy playing Lazio, um, just by me, I was by myself in the villa, and there was no mates, and my mate would come around and you just couldn't uh, walk because of paparazzi and the devil, and there was always a devil on his shoulder. And there was one bloke in Italy, Giovanni, and he was the driver at Lazio, and we'd go out uh, to his family because where well, it was in Italy, his family at a restaurant, it was beautiful. And that's when, when I felt like I was in Newcastle, but just with my mates. And because Giovanni, she's, his mummy, she'd go, Gaza, I have a lovely Oli, have a lovely Oli, and a few beers. And it was like being in Newcastle. Um, and I'd go back to his training with Giovanni in the morning, straight from his mum's in a gaffer. And that's your Dino's off. And he'd go, Gaza, have you been drinking? And I'd say, I never had 20 pints, I just had 40 halves. Um, and Giovanni got a sack, he got disciplined, and that killed us. Um, and I never went back to the restaurant with mum. And when well, I did, but it was closed for the night, and I couldn't couldn't raise them up. And that was the end of that in Italy. Um, and obviously, then went to Glasgow and played at Rangers. I never forget the Lavioli, and I never let the devil win, like Giovanni. And you never, never let Lucifer win, ever. If you're like Poirot or Inspector Morse, you might have noticed over the last few weeks that I have a fondness for America. Well, not a fondness, I have a love for America. But inadvertently, I've been listening back a bit and it seems I keep making little pot shots at Britain. And I don't dislike Britain, don't get me wrong. I think it's one of the best places, if not the best place in the world, to go for a walk. And seriously, I mean, that counts for a lot. That's an amazing thing. It's just the reason I want to go to America is it's more positive. You know, when people impersonate Americans in this country, they generally do the whole, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing real good. How are you getting along? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. I like that. The cliches of American culture that people deride, I value. And maybe I have a skin too few or something. But if I pop into the Laurel Tavern on Ventura Boulevard and the guy behind the bar says, hey, how are you doing today? I'm like, well, all right. Yeah, I'm all right now. You know, I like it. It, it gives me a lift. How are you doing today? I'm doing real good. I know it might be slightly put on sometimes, but I don't care. Here, if you ask someone how they are, they'll just be all right. Or how are you? All right. Or not too bad. Still bad. Don't worry about that. They're still bad. They're still suffering. Just not too bad. How's work? Oh, you know, struggling along, getting there. There is, in Britain, a preposterous need to disguise happiness or well-being, which doesn't happen in the States. Two blokes down the pub in Britain. 
So Mike came in here the other day, smiling the way he was, like a bloody Cheshire cat. What was that? Someone just fallen over and hurt themselves or something? No, nothing funny had happened at all. But he was just smiling. So he comes up to the bar, still smiling, and I'm like, hello, not me. What's all this? So I say, how are you, Mike? You know, testing the water. Right, what does he say? Well, get this, he says. I'm great, thanks, Paul. I'm great. What? I know. I'm thinking he's going to say something like, I'm great, thanks, Paul, considering I've just been diagnosed with bowel cancer, you know. Right, but he never just said he was close. Yeah. What did you do? Well, I mean, I've known Mike for years, haven't I? So I decided to give him a second chance. Ask him how work's going or something. Exactly. So he's still standing there, smiling like a cat who's got the bloody cream. So I say, how's work there, Mike? Smile left his face. Not for a second. Now, if I asked you how work was going, what would you say? I'd say, oh, up and down. You know how it is. Exactly. Know what he says? I say, how's work there, Mike? He says, fantastic. Do what? He says, fantastic. We've just secured three new contracts, which gives us a bit of breathing space, pay the bills, and I'm thinking about taking Kathy and the kids off to Disneyland. He never. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought I knew the bugger, didn't I? Then he says, what a pint, Paul. And I'm thinking, right, ain't doing it. I think he might be ill or something. So I say, you know, give him a third chance. I say, bit cold out there, isn't it, Mike? Now, what would you say if I said that to you? I'd say... Never stops, does it? Forecasting rain this weekend and all. Of course you would. Not this prick. He says, oh, I don't know, Paul. Sun's poking through. He doesn't know when to stop this fella, does he? Unbelievable. I mean, what's his problem? An impression there of a cockney talking to somebody from Birmingham who was also a little bit from Liverpool. It doesn't matter. In America, success is applauded. You're allowed to think big and people don't mock you if you fail in America. This is the interesting thing. If you start a company making garden furniture or whatever and it fails, it's actually, this is a bit weird, it's seen as a noble thing, all part of the American dream. Nothing wrong with having a dream, even if it fails. Start a new business. You're allowed dreams. Here... Dreams are the deluded night terrors of a pervert. You go into a pub, I want to write movies. You want to do what? Oi, Craig, check out Steven Spielberg over here. I don't want to direct them, I want to write them. Oh, he reckons he knows all about it now. If you go to Los Angeles, I want to write a movie. You got a screenplay? What's it about? I don't know. I'm just a bit frustrated. I'm stuck here and I don't mean to kick Britain or England, I should say. England's the most negative and I'm a product of it, so... It just seems that if you're a dreamer, then America welcomes you. There's this analogy. This isn't mine. I heard it somewhere, but it's a good analogy. An American guy sees another man drive past in a gleaming sports car, roof down, gorgeous girlfriend. And he says to himself, one day, one day I'm going to get that car. British guy sees a man drive past in a gleaming sports car, roof down, beautiful girlfriend. And he says to himself, one day... One day, I'm going to get that bastard. I knew a bloke called Stuart Baker, and he worked in a bakery. It was just a coincidence, but his surname was Baker, and he was a baker. And I was telling someone this, because I'm a fascinating conversationalist. You're quite the toast of society this season. And they said, oh, I know someone whose surname is Plummer. 
and they are a plumber. And so somebody like Stuart Baker, somebody called Plumber, had got an application form for the apprenticeship and they'd written down Plumber and they hadn't got it wrong. They hadn't put, you know, their name where it said, what do you want to do? They'd, they'd intended to become a plumber. And I got to thinking that a lot of surnames are to do with trades. Gardener, you know, surnames that would have originated back in the day, uh, probably related to what people did for a living, like gardener, they were gardeners, and farmer, cook, they would have been cooks, Tyler and Thatcher. And the Tylers, when tiles became invented, the Tylers probably made fun of the Thatchers a little bit for being old fashioned and oldie. That's not going to burn down. Whoa, shut up. It looks nice. Looks like a death trap, mate. You know, they probably mocked each other. And it, but it wasn't. They weren't surnames at the time. All names would have just been a first name like Alan and then what somebody did for a living. So somebody would be called Alan the Gardener. There wouldn't be Alan Gardner, there'd be Alan the Gardener to distinguish from Alan the Blacksmith. And then somehow a system was put in place which made them Alan Gardner or Alan Smith, Blacksmith. And the same with names like Dean, surnames like Dean, James Dean. His relatives would have probably been a dean, you know, a dean of the chapel, a dean of the cathedral, or I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean, people, or people who are named after places. Kent, that's a popular surname, Clark Kent, he probably came from Kent, you know, but they, my point being, they would have originally have been called, there would have been someone called Geoffrey of Kent or Daniel of Newbury, and they became Geoffrey Kent or Daniel Newbury. But when? When did occupational names or descriptive names become family names, surnames? And there's probably a very good answer to this. I'm not going to research it, obviously. I reckon there was maybe just one quite forward thinking community with an officious village elder with a beard called Jeff. And a meeting was held one day to explain the changes or his idea. People are going to the meetings going, oh, I wonder what Jeff wants. Oh, I don't know, it's probably to do with litter down by the stream. You know what he's like. And then, oh, no, I picked it up. I picked it up. What can he want? And they get into the local meeting hut with a fire in the middle it's made out of cow skin and by the way this podcast is not historically accurate i don't recommend you use this stuff as reference material for your diploma or whatever i mean you can but don't come crying to me when you fail and they say you've made a mockery of history you know it might be right it might not be it probably is but all right so the villagers they gather outside the meeting hut they enter and it's all smoky inside Jeff's at the head of the table, banging his tankard. Right. Yes, right. Thank you. Hello. Can I have some order, please? Thank you. Now, before we begin, I'd like to reconfirm that next week's real ale trip to Shrewsbury will leave at one o'clock prompt from the well. Now, it's 80 miles away, so it will take us a good four weeks to walk it, allowing for refreshment stops. Oh, come on, that's beer humour. Wake up. So be sure to bring plenty of sandwiches or animals or whatever it is we eat in whatever year this is. Get on with it! And pray there be no more silly shenanigans from anyone when we go to leave Shrewsbury. And that means you, Alan the Hunter. Nothing to be proud of. Two years it took them to rebuild that bridge. Now, right, the reason I've called you all here is because of our names, all right? What about our names? If you would but listen, John the Smith, I shall explain. Now, at the moment, we are all named either after our professions, such as you, Samuel the Gardener, or where we come from, such as you, Harold of Lincoln, or who we are married to, Mary, wife of John, over there. Hello. 
but I have devised a new system for us all to follow that will change all that. Well, how's that work then? Well, William the Tyler, I shall explain. Now, we are all going to have surnames, what? okay? And that means you, for example, William, will now not be William the Tyler, but simply William Tyler. Well, what's the point of that? Cockknobs! If you will, if you will let, if you will let me explain. Now, not only will you, William, be William Tyler, but your wife and your children will also be Tyler. So, it will be Jenny Tyler, hello Jenny, and Mary Ann Tyler, and young Fredwick Tyler, there. My wife isn't a Tyler. That doesn't matter. Now, if you want to make your point, if you want to make your point, William Tyler, which is what you are now called, then I suggest you come up to the front. Come on, come on. Go on, That's go on, it. William. Excuse now, me. You make your point go. in front of everybody. Right. Wait, wait, okay. Well, hello. hello. Um, what I was just saying is that my wife isn't a Tyler, and she's never been on a roof in her life. Right. She's scared of heights. That's right. I mean, um, her job really is to keep the house nice. Uh, that's our tiled house, not our stupid thatched house. And she has a job, she has to cook and stuff. So really, her name should be Jenny Cook. No, that's not the way my system works. She's married to you, so she has your name. Y yes, Jenny? I don't want a stupid name, though. Well, at the moment, you don't even have a name. You're either Jenny, wife of William, or Jenny, daughter of... What's your dad's name? Gary. Jenny, daughter of Gary. So it's better for you, isn't it? Women are inferior to men, so they must take they must take their husband's name. Oh, Is that because you haven't got a girlfriend, Jeff? Oh, no, that's oh. not why I'm saying it. And anyway, I, I do have a girlfriend. You just haven't met her yet. Does she live in the pond, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> As for you, David, unemployed David over there, you shall simply be known as David Savage. Why? What's that about? Because that's what you are. You're a stupid savage. time coming up to ooh, about half past five in the morning it's time to pop a couple of Prozacs brush a cigarette ash off the sleeve of your filthy dressing gown and speak again with Alan Merrick the great 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 grandson of John Merrick the elephant man as he continues his quest through the backwaters and swampland of the London dating scene good evening Alan Good evening, Stanley. And how does this chilly morning find you? Not so bad. I was just considering popping down to the shop. There's a nice news agent's come off license below my block, and they open up around now. I, I fancy some Pringles and maybe a jar of that saucer stuff you dip them in. But I've been looking around for my purse. You know, the wallet thing. I keep my coins in. So, whereabouts is it you live? Is it 
do you live in Whitechapel? Yes, um, Whitechapel, on the, the south side of Whitechapel Road, not far from the tube station, which is jolly handy. My address is 376... Wait, 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 don't give, wait, don't give your address out. Don't give your address out on the internet. Why not? You could get all sorts coming round. You need to... You need to think of your privacy. Why? Well, you don't want any Tom, Dick or Harry popping over to say hello. Or, or Alice, Patricia or Mary, maybe. Well, maybe, but even so, I don't think it's wise in this day and age. I'm struggling to think of a downside, to be perfectly honest. Well, it might be wacko or anything. But th this, is, this is something I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to quiz you if I may, about your social life. Well, as I've said, I go on a date every weekend and we alternate. Sometimes I pick the location and sometimes she picks the location. No, but I mean outside of dates, apart from Saturday. What about the rest of the week? Oh, I see. You mean just with mates and things? Yeah. You're socialising outside of dates? Of course. Well, normally, once or twice a week, I meet up with my friend Billy. We've known each other for about two years, and we'll go for a drink locally. Oh, well, that, no, that's good. I mean, sorry, I don't want to come over as, I don't know, patronising or something, because we barely know each other. But I'm sort of glad in a weird way, only because it would be strange... I think if you only went on dates, do you know what I mean? And, and things like that. Do you understand? Oh, yes. No, absolutely. I agree. So tell us about Billy. <gasps> Billy works in the hospital on Whitechapel Road. The Royal London Hospital. That's right. He's a porter there. Ah, now there's a thing. I used to be a hospital porter. This is true. I was a porter when I was about 19, 20 or so in the Middlesex Hospital, or what was the Middlesex Hospital because it's been knocked down now, on Gower Street, just off Tottenham Court Road. I was a TSA, which was Theatre Support Assistant, but basically a, a porter. Uh, hey, Alan, porters are mental, you know. They are characters, yes. <laughs> so what, what year was that? When I was 19, that would have been... Uh, 1996, and I was there for about two years or so, so 1996 to 1998. Probably. Oh, good times to be alive. They were, no, they were. Well, 1994 was the pinnacle, I think, 1994 for, for music and for London. But anyway, so Billy works as a porter in the Royal London, and what what did you get up to? Well, we meet up in a pub over from the hospital, uh, the Grave Maurice. It used to be good, that pub. I know what you mean. They've modernised it a bit. Anyway, Billy likes it. So what do you and Billy chat about? Well, Billy might just be a porter, but he's got a real interest in medicine and medical curiosities. He's always smuggling out little samples to show me, you know, stuff from the hospital archives. Right. One week, he'll have a little jar of formaldehyde with a nose or something in it, and he'll say, look what happens when a nose gets gangrene 
or the next week he might have a jar with a toe in it and say, this came off the body of a murdered prostitute back in the day. It might have been one of Jack the Ripper's victims. He's very up on his history. Yeah. I don't know if he should hang around with Billy too much anymore. No, he's very interesting, and he's very interested in me, always asking me questions about myself. About your... about your body? Um, sometimes. He's always offering to show me around the hospital. I'll show you some secret rooms, he says, but I'm quite nervous of hospitals. Alan, did you know that the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel is actually where they keep the remains for, for um, study purposes of your great, great, great... When I can stop you there, yes... I did know that that's where they keep my relative, yes. But I like to disassociate myself in a way. I mean, I'm certainly not ashamed of my family tree or anything. But I don't want to become identified by it, if you know what I mean. I think, no, I think that's completely understandable. It's like sons and daughters of pop stars, isn't it? You know, it doesn't matter what they do with their own life. They're always Michael Jackson's son or whatever, you know, Madonna's daughter. Completely. But of course, Billy has brought this up. You must go in there with me and see him, he says. I'll take a photo of you together. You can hold his head. Listen, seriously. You need to stop hanging out with Billy. I mean, uh, how old is he? Oh, I don't know. Early 50s. Yeah. Bail out, mate. Full stop. Pull the emergency cord. You don't don't hang out with Billy. Why? Because he's a lunatic. He only wants to be your mate because... Um... But he's very kind. He buys all the drinks, brings his other mates to see me. Yeah, I bet he does. Doesn't he ever sort of freak you out a bit? Not really. Well... Like you say, that's Porter's, isn't it? Oh, look, I mean, I, I can't tell you what to do. You're an intelligent bloke. But I just fear we're going to be talking about Billy again sometime. But anyway, right. D um, did you go, Alan, did you go on a date this week? Oh, yes. Not at Nando's, hopefully. Have you got the whole Brixton thing out of your system? Have you got Claire out of your system? Oh, yes, definitely. Stupid Claire. <laughs> Stupid Claire. Stupid Claire. Stupid Claire. Stupid Claire. Stupid Claire. Stupid Claire. Stupid 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 Claire. That's our new cleansing song. We won't need to use it again, hopefully, but that that's 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 our cleansing song. Right. So who did you meet this week? Oh, Abigail. The lovely Abigail. And whereabouts? A little Italian bistro called La Striga in Fulham. Ah, market. That makes a change. So, Abigail, is she like a Sloan Ranger type? The name Abigail, she could be. I'm not sure. It said on her profile she was an interior designer. Yep, posh. 
Only posh people are allowed to be interior designers. Exterior designers, you know, you want someone to point your bricks or knock up a wall or build a conservatory. They can be from anywhere. Interior, got to be posh. So what time did you arrange to meet? Nine. And you got there? Oh, just a shade after six. Some wine? Check. How many glasses? Ten. Really? Only kidding. Twelve. Oh, you kidder. Don't mess with a winning formula. <laughs> so, right. So she arrives. Um, on, on time? On the bloody dot. Maybe a minute past nine. This suggests a control freak. Interesting. So, right. So this is the fifth time we've spoken. So, seriously, Abigail in... Fulham, take it from here, Alan. Well, it's only a little place, this La Strada, and that made me feel self-conscious at first, you know. I don't like being overexposed, which is an expression we have in the photographic industry. But I settled down nonetheless. The thing was, I was only about ten feet or so from the door, so I was sat there feeling more affected by the door opening and shutting than I would normally. Um, and as I say, she was so punctual. This took me slightly by surprise as well. Now, the tell we'd arranged was she would be holding a red handbag. But this lady just burst in as I was checking my watch for nine o'clock and I look up and this beautiful lady is holding a red handbag. And what did she look like? Well, just stately, you know, well-bred, um, a healthy face. Looks like she knew her way around a horse. Quite strong, but slender and tall. Possibly about 32 years old. And rich brown hair, blown into shape. A nice green top and blue jeans. But you know those jeans that are jeans, but they're by Versace or someone, so they're not really jeans. Mm -hmm. And a, a pair of kitten heels, size six. But like I say, she arrived so quickly and shut the door behind her and looked around. She was on me before I had a chance to think. So I just stood up quickly and said, Abigail! And she looked straight at me and uh, her eyes widened and she just went, Crikey! And I said, it's me, it's Alan. And she just toppled backwards and lost her footing. But of course, she'd already shut the door, so she, she toppled backwards straight through the glass. There was just this terrible splintering and crashing, and so I rushed forwards, but she had picked herself up and taken flight, and so I dived through the broken door, but land with my foot where the jagged shards of glass had collected at the bottom, and she runs across the street to her Land Rover and starts banging the door and pressing her keys until it opened, and I'm lying and my leg is 
caught in the door, and all I hear as the waiters gather around me, trying to pick me up, is the large engine of her car growl off down the street. No. <laughs> it's so unfair. Alan. I've got so much to give. Stanley McHale. It features Stanley McHale and Anna Neal.